What is up, the ER Task Force? We have a special episode for you today. We're really psyched to share it. It's a bit of an experiment, so we hope that you like it and that you'll bear with us as we figure this out. Usually, we have a member present on a topic and then we'll later dissect it on the podcast, but today, with no member presentation as a backdrop, we'll purely be responding to the ongoing situation in California with the wildfires, public safety power shutoffs, and rolling blackouts from power shortages. Really, it's it's a mess, and these are actually three distinct events, but all related in some big way, of course. But it felt like the coverage of the situation had often glossed over that, or conflated them all as one thing. A lot of hot takes on Twitter. So we wanna first unpack what's actually happening, and second, try to think about what can be done, where this is all going, and as always, what roles DERs may have to play in all that. At the same time, this is becoming a national story that could come up on the debate stage in the upcoming presidential election, so it remains especially relevant to the work that the task force is doing. Anyways, with that out of the way, we hope you enjoy, and we'll get started. I feel as though I'm somewhere I've never been before. There were wildfires occasionally throughout my life here, which would quickly be fought and contained. Never do I remember 23 straight days of orange, oppressive, smoky skies, leaving my house in fear that I'd never return to it, or knowing someone whose home burned down in the mountains near my house. There is no greater proof, nor should we require it, that climate change is here and changing our lives. I am only 25 years old, and I do not know what future there is for me, let alone my potential children and grandchildren. This was shockingly uh, like a person on the street style uh, interview. Um, Emily Saz, a graduate student in art history at Santa Cruz University, uh, who was interviewed by the New York Times in a big piece they wrote about the fires either today or yesterday. So this is just a random person's thoughts on climate change and wildfires, which is pretty striking. That was pretty heavy, to be honest. Yeah. It's a heavy topic. I mean, there's just 23 days is wild. I think being on the East Coast, it's like hard for me to remember how long it's been happening. In relationship to that, like I see pictures on Twitter and I'm like, these are fake, right? Like no one's actually in San Francisco and that's what it looks like. Yeah, it's super, super scary. If you couldn't guess, uh, we're talking about the wildfires in California. And as sort of background, you know, typically we base... Um, our episodes on a topic or presentation that someone presented on during one of the meetups. But we felt that everything happening in California and the West generally right now uh, demanded sort of a a special episode, an emergency episode, if you will. Um, So we want to try to cover what's going on, what's been going on for the past couple of weeks throughout the state, things related to power, climate change, and, you know, of course, distributed energy resources as well. It's one of those moments where it's like everything we talk about in this very theoretical sense is like, what, like, what the fuck do we do? Like, what do we do to get, it's a mess, right? Like it's a, there's like an actual crisis happening before our, our eyes and the DR task force, we want to be very bent towards action. And we don't want to just talk about this in like a, a theory sense like we, we want to really like try and cover what's happening and what, what we can actually do about it both in the short term and the long term so i think maybe that's a good setup to the episode where it's like 
what's happening and, and what can we do about it? That That's what we want to talk about today. Totally. Yeah. And I think that's right on. Most of our conversations are so theoretical, heady, academic. Um, and when it actually all happens all at once, it's a little overwhelming. So when we say all at once, there's three things that are going on, right? First, we had these rolling blackouts from a supply shortage that started in August. Then we had the wildfires start. And third, now we're starting public safety power shutoff season. All of these things happening all at once in California. Um, so first, let's quickly just jump into these rolling blackouts. What happened here? We're not going to try to give an exhaustive uh, description of what happened, because if you get into this, it's really complicated. But at least we'll sort of peel the first layer back so we can start the discussion. But for the first time in, I think, 20 years since the energy crisis made famous you know, during the Enron days. Which James is currently sporting, the Enron shirt. I am wearing an Enron shirt. It was by accident, and it feels uh, weirdly coincidental or we're kind of sitting through like stuff that people are still talking about today and that's happening right now so so yeah for the first time in 20 years uh california iso was not able to meet demand with supply so it's the first time since the enron i mean the crisis back in 2001 right when enron was like manipulating markets yep yeah and i mean and if you remember right the the governor lost his job after that crisis so this is a big deal on August 14th and 15th, um, around 220,000 PG&E customers uh, were impacted. So, you know, three people per, per customer or per meter, that's, you know, 660,000 people or so lost, lost power for at least some period of time. And it was, it was sort of, it wasn't all at once, right? It's sort of rolling blackouts, you know, described that they move around um, and it was often only for like two hours at a time. So these weren't severe outages. But again, what's striking about it, right, is that the system just couldn't do its job. It's not as if there was some natural disaster or something. We just couldn't get people power. And a bunch of things all at once sort of happened to make this, uh, make this situation. First and foremost, there was a crazy heat wave at the time. I remember seeing people like from San Francisco talk about how you know, they've never seen like 100 degree weather before. No one has an air conditioner. Um, and not just in California, but actually throughout the entire West, there's this heat wave, um, which obviously drives up power demand. But that being said, like the power demand peak forecasted was not higher than previous peaks. Correct. Um, yes, peak demand was 47 gigawatts or so. Technically, we should have been able to, to meet it, to get there. Yeah. Yep. Previous years, we've seen 52 gigawatts without having blackouts, but we had generation issues as well. Um, there was less hydro than expected. Um, I think it was only 5.5 gigawatts, whereas you know typically we'd expect around eight gigawatts right now. Um, and there's definitely climate implications there, right? Hydro becomes much more of a variable resource from a year to year basis uh, when climate is disrupted. Yeah, more droughts leads to like less renewable power production by hydro anyway. Yeah, so it's it's variable, you know, not in the way say solar is, but on a sort of longer time scale, it, it definitely is because it ultimately is weather dependent. It seems like this hasn't been fully unpacked yet and the full answers really aren't, uh, don't exist, but a bunch of gas plants just weren't available. Some of which it seems um, because it was so hot, they weren't able to run properly. Um, because they like the design condition when these plants was built was not 
this hot, also a climate change issue. And then additionally, uh, the imports that were expected to be materialized weren't available. Also, because it was so hot, the rest of the West, where power is often imported from, um, also was experiencing record heat and record power demand. So California wasn't able to import power in the same way um, it might expect during an event like this. So like of those reasons, I feel like, you know, maybe on the imports front, like you should expect that in a way, like not being able to get imports and hydro, like maybe not year over year. I mean, at least, you know, earlier seeing the rainfall levels, like you can expect there's not going to be enough hydro or you, you know what the peak output of hydro is going to be. But year over year, as you get droughts get worse year over year, you know, that's going to affect kind of like your long-term outlook. So in a way, like the gas plant's not running is probably the only variable that was like unexpected in a way, right? Or should have been unexpected in a sense. So I think one of the interesting things here is like, why, how did we get a power shortage when like the grid should just be running normally? Like, yeah, it was a heat wave, but the peak demand was not like wildly over anything we've seen in the past. So like, why did this really happen? And we need to push back on like, okay, all these reasons came out, but like how justified are you in, in that being like reason for for people not having enough power like prices going to a thousand dollars a megawatt hour or whatever it is and interestingly i remember people showing this like in the middle of it prices weren't always a thousand dollars a megawatt hour which like i just mentally don't know how to square like we're about to have rolling blackouts and prices aren't at the cap like how is that possible but apparently was the case so before we kind of get into the wildfires and the public safety power shutoffs, it's like important to understand why the initial blackouts happened. And so I, I kind of, I mean, I don't know enough about California markets like I should. I know they're, I know they're deregulated, but I mean, are they a capacity market? Like how do they incentivize new build? Because to me, you saying that prices weren't even hitting a thousand dollars a megawatt hour. That says to me that like the market is super broken. Like if you, if there's a shortage coming, like power prices should be going through the roof, right? In Texas, they go all the way up to $9,000 a megawatt hour. So, you know, the, my first reaction when, when this happened uh, was like, okay, if you just remove the cap and you let prices run up, it'll, it's not going to fix it today, but it's going to incentivize new build tomorrow. So like, why wasn't new build? to meet this demand, which actually isn't like that crazy of an anomaly. Like this should not have happened in a well-functioning market. Like I not knowing that much, like you guys can push back on me on this, but it feels to me like that it just shouldn't have happened. There's no like market manipulation. They should, there was poor or not well-reasoned resource adequacy. How are they incentivizing new build? Why wasn't there enough generation built? I mean, the gas plants, the hydro, the no, no imports, like all that stuff still feels like excuses to me. Like there just should be enough available capacity, especially if you like let prices run up over time. Like, is it a capacity market? So California is like in a weird middle ground. They have the resource adequacy market, which um, has a capacity element to it, but I don't know exactly why, but for a bunch of reasons, people don't consider that like a pure capacity market. And actually, after this outage, there's a bunch of IPPs now advocating for California creating a real capacity market, whatever that means. 
but yeah, so I think they're sort of in a middle ground because you, you can get capacity payments based on what do they call it? Your effective load carrying capacity in the RA market, just in some way it's, it's different than say a PJM style capacity market. So they don't have like regulators saying, okay, we're expecting demand to be X over the next three years. We're going to plan for some reserve margin and then create an auction and like buy up that capacity for, you know, lock them in for three years or whatever. Like, so it does look like they do have their load storing entities, which have to provide forecasts plus a 15% planning reserve margin. I don't know how that translates into Kaiso presenting resource adequacy like incentives. There is not a like forward capacity auction in the same way there is in most capacity markets. There is a capacity mechanism to the resource adequacy market, but it in some way works differently and some folks would claim, you know, doesn't really offer the true benefits or what other might people might think of as drawbacks of a true capacity market. So regardless, like not enough capacity was procured, like clearly, right? Like <laughs> this wasn't like a black swan. Oh my God. How did we hit 52 gigawatts? Yeah. We were, we were under historical, historical peaks. And I get that there was a bunch of factors that lined up to make the shortfall. You know, it wasn't just one, it was hydro with gas, with imports, but like, Anyways, it just doesn't seem like a, a, a better functioning market like would have their the capacity would have been available. Like there should be stronger penalties to the generators who weren't around or there should be higher prices to incentivize, you know, more generators to, to be around. Yeah, and I, I do want to just correct myself on one thing. Um, when I was saying it wasn't hitting $1,000 a megawatt hour, I just meant at some times. It, I certainly saw it hitting 1000 otherwise. Um, but right. there were also times in the middle of it, it wasn't in certain areas. And I just found that confusing. I don't know if that's because something was wrong or maybe just a particular node actually was okay. I, I don't know. Yeah. What I think is really interesting though, from like the DER perspective, right. Is that, so they had these, we had these outages that these rolling blackouts that happened because of the heat wave and having less hydro and something happening with the gas plants. But then the solution to it not happening a second time a few days later was Kaiso and the PUC like basically coming out and being like, please, customers, use less. They got on Twitter. They got on the news. Like they were out there just being like, everybody just turn shit off. <laughs> and it worked. Yeah. What do they call it? A flex alert, I think. Flex alert. Yeah. Just that like... you don't get paid for, which I definitely want to talk about. Well, maybe you would get more if you paid people. Right? Like if you had a flex alert and it was like, do your part and get paid, that'd be great. I mean, Ohm Connects does do that, right? They were like all over the internet being like, we're paying people to turn their fridge off in cycles so they don't even notice. And we're like doing all these other things. I don't know. I think they have like, they send out smart plugs. There is some DR in California. It's not as if it doesn't exist. It's just... It wasn't enough. They wasn't had enough. to go beyond that and ask people. Yeah. People in the industry of demand response generally say like California's kind of fumbled on flexibility. Um, so yeah, they had to go out and just sort of beg people to use less power. Um, and it is kind of like exciting that it worked. Like there's a weird sort of like social communal thing where I'm like, wow, everybody chipped in. That's great. But it's absurd. We should not be there. Yeah. I thought about that. I was like, would I turn down my thermostat? 
I saw people on Twitter being like, I'm pre-cooling my house. Like I know they said it's coming <laughs> at three and like, it's like 60 degrees in here right now. Like, wow. So, I mean, that's cool. kind of cool that like people got into it. No, I, I dig that. But yeah, like hopefully we can uh, have a better functioning system where we don't have to be there. Yeah. Cause let's also think through that, right? Like pre-cooling your house means that you're making it much colder in your home than you normally would to then have it like, get warm and then once the event's over you cool it again you're presumably like maybe paying more in electricity to do yeah. that you're like Very doing possibly. your part for the grid and then your bill goes up and like that feels wrong <laughs> yeah and like you have these time of use rates that aren't aligned with what you were just asked to do so you might have been pre-cooling during a peak or something which is crazy right yeah it's unfair you had david energy as your retailer that would all be a price responsive you know handling of your thermostat only if it settles to the meter <laughs> right <laughs> i mean this does bring up another another point right there's there's no retailers in california that's why we don't work in california yeah this is this is something else folks brought up in addition to saying wow california's really fumbled on dr they've also said well without any retailers like that's another way to access flexibility and we just they just aren't doing any of that Maybe I should know more about California's market, but I do know enough to think it sucks. <laughs> and this wouldn't happen. Like everyone was pointing at Texas, like they're gonna mess it up. Like, look at how like this fully deregulated energy market, like something bad is gonna happen. That actually hasn't happened yet. It still could, you know, don't be fooled by randomness, but it has happened in California. So like theoretically it shouldn't have. So you know, there's one, a reason why we don't want to work in California as a retailer or whatever. You can't really, I don't think it's a great market, but the point is, is that a lot of the narrative today is like, oh, renewables are the reason that California is failing. It's like no improper market design and like not letting prices run up is like why the market's failing. You'd have ton of tons of renewables. And if you let prices go above a thousand dollars a megawatt hour, you'd incentivize more flexibility or, you know, that may be a simplistic statement, but people are like, they shut down nuclear and they built solar and now the market is messed up. It's like, well, I think there's bigger problems in the market than like the decision to build solar. We may see this on the national stage, right? Like Trump may come out and be like, look at California. They built so many renewables. Uh, renewables don't work. We should go to coal or whatever, you know, which is a bunch of bullshit. Like it's, it's their market sucks. I have to come out and say that because like it has not, in my mind has nothing to do with renewables. So that's, that's how I feel about this ultimately. And it like makes me mad because renewables get blamed when it should be like, you know, regulators essentially. Oh, I, I think we've absolutely seen that. I think who was it? Ted Cruz was already sort of like, you know, banging the drum about renewables and, and socialism and, and all of that. You know, what, one more thing I wanted to mention about this was this idea that, you know, DR isn't being activated properly and not just, you know, is there this idea that we don't even have a retail market so people can't do interesting things with flexibility. I mean, the third crazy thing was that after, you know, years of not allowing backup generators to provide emergency power to the grid, uh, the governor allowed almost a gigawatt of diesel generators that were actually installed previously for public safety power shutoffs uh, to fire up and help out. 
a gigawatt <laughs> of backup generators being sort of like, okay, I guess we need you. On one hand, like, I think generators should be able to participate. On the other hand, I just think it's crazy that we decided not to, and then we went back on it at the last second. But yeah, it's still like we had a gigawatt of diesel generators, or 950 megawatts firing up. I mean, you've said generators should get paid a capacity payment uh, in the Northeast, which you're getting kind of vindicated on here. I mean, they get that. Yeah. Like in, in DR markets where, of course, where generators meet air standards, um, you know, they can get their, their three-year demand response revenue. And if we had DR and retailer flexibility, hopefully we wouldn't have to use the diesels, right? Cause they're the most expensive and make the least sense to do it's a last resort, but like, it's good that we had them. And it's, I don't know, it's just strange to me. Like, I think we could have avoided that gigawatt of diesels if we had the other elements that work, whether or not, you know, diesel generators meaningfully contribute to air quality when like a meaningful amount of the state is on fire. I do agree that it's like, it's an interesting example of how dealing with climate change in the moment can sort of just exacerbate what you're dealing with. Um, you know, we're firing up fossil fuel generators because a heat wave made us lose power, but we're doing that during wildfires. Like it, it all kind of like flows together, but yeah, let's get into the second topic, wildfires. Um, so right now, um, and this started around the same time, I believe as the rolling blackouts and obviously has only escalated since, um, right now there are eight major wildfires in California. The biggest one is the bear fire. Uh, which has already burned like well over 250,000 acres of forest. There is also major fires in Oregon and Washington. Uh, this is a California specific episode, but this is happening throughout the West. Tons of people are evacuating. Air quality, I mean, everybody's seen the photos and heard the stories. You know, air quality is terrible. You know, one example I've heard is a school that was able to have students in the classroom by spacing them out and then running their HVAC on 100% outside air, well, now you can't run it on 100% outside air. So they had to send everybody home. So all, all sorts of implications. Um, but yeah, the, this is turning out to be like an unprecedented wildfire season, which, you know, last year we thought was the case and the year before we thought was the case. But yet again, we're, we're sort of setting a record here. We're faced with these sort of like grid challenges and then the fires come and kind of like understandably become the focus, but they don't just become the focus, they become the fire risk becomes yet another reason that people could be losing power, right? Because then we're moving into public safety power shutoffs or just power being impacted by fires like engulfing, presumably transmission, distribution, substations, right? Like they're hitting a lot of places. And it becomes a big health concern when your air quality is bad to not have any form of like cooling in your home and to not be able to open your windows because the air quality is too bad outside. And so you're sort of left in this like potentially really dangerous situation where you're sort of like deciding between being like, I think I saw someone on, on Twitter talk about this or they're like deciding between being like comfortable temperature versus like the hundred plus degrees it was in their apartment with not having power and like opening the windows and risking themselves to hazardous air. And so like, those are the decisions that you have when 
you don't have resilience in the power grid and you have things like wildfires impacting air quality. So I, I think that's like a really important, like that's the crux of all, how all three of these issues converge, right? Because when I originally heard about the rolling blackouts and wildfires going on at the same time, I was like, oh, there must be public safety power shutoffs because the grid is causing these fires. But it turns out that the rolling blackouts were something separate initially, right? Currently, we're in a public safety power shutoff. So what's important to understand here is that these are really three separate things happening, but they all are related to each other in, in super important ways. Like one, rolling blackouts given a heat wave like should not happen, right? Like those should not have happened. Two, the wildfires are their, their own tragedy, just totally separate of all this. And then three, you have a grid that actually causes some of these wildfires, which in, which in this case didn't, but given the now additional risk of kind of adding to the, the, the fires, people's power is getting shut off, which also doesn't you know, necessarily have to be an issue given like kind of other issues we've talked about in the past and like solutions that are available. But what the tragedy of it is at the end of the day, Colleen, like to your point, it's not just like having to live through it, these wildfires and like being exposed to breathing in things that are harmful or having your house potentially burned down or whatever. To go through this without power is so insane to me. Like we live in, in one of the, the most developed country like ever and people have to make the decisions that you just laid out and they're totally avoidable. Like when you look at COVID and like how it impacts like maybe a retail sales, you're like, okay, could you have predicted it? Like it's a black swan event or whatever. Like it's a natural tragedy. We were impacted in ways that we couldn't have possibly foreseen or, or if we could foresee them, we couldn't have prepared. I fundamentally don't think that's true in this case. Like we can build a more resilient grid we can't avoid rolling black blackouts. We can't avoid public safety power shutoffs. And that's like what has me so incensed about this whole thing is that in the midst of this like actually unfolding ongoing tragedy, the most fundamental thing to our basically like existence as like modern humans having access to power and the power grid is uh, failing. And, and, and they're not, it's not like, oh, the fires happened because it's easy, you, you see, people talking like this, oh, the fires are happening. Like, of course, like, okay, the grid didn't work. Like we had to shut it down because the fires like, no, that's not true. Like these things shouldn't be happening concurrently and they are. And it's like really, really problematic. And I think it's gonna get worse. Like I really think this is gonna get worse. I think this is the start of this. And so in kind of talking about how all these things come together, like I wanna be really firm in stating that like we don't have to accept this as a reality. Like it doesn't have to be the case and it shouldn't be. You know, I think because we're a DER focused podcast, I'd like to maybe like talk about how DERS could uh, help out in this situation. I think there's a few really key ways, like public safety power shutoffs should not be happening at a wide scale. In California, there may be some case for public safety power shutoffs all the time because there is droughts and climate change and all of that. But if that's something that's going to happen, then I think the reasonable reaction is like, if there are certain transmission lines or something that are in high risk areas, you need to have alternate ways of providing power, 
right? So there need to be either microgrids or in those areas or like alternate paths of power where you can be sharing resources. I think if you live in California right now, and this may sound really dumb, me sitting in like my cozy home on, you know, in New York, <laughs> you have two options today as a California resident that's affected by these things. You can move or you can install DERs. I know this is going to make me a DER maximalist and like Duncan and I laugh about, we're just becoming like Bitcoin fixes this guys on Twitter, like DERs fix this, like becoming maximalist. But I've like thought about this every which way. And the public response to this is pathetic and it's not going to work. Like they're debating right now, can we install microgrids, the utility own them at the substation level, which doesn't even solve the problem, right? And like, they're going to spend months or years on this, right? One of the substation microgrids that was installed failed just, just the other day. It didn't turn out and it actually caused its own small power outage in the town it was serving. So like, not only did it, did it not do its job, it worsened the problem. And this is one of the ratepayer funded substation microgrids that was built to deal with PSPS. Yeah, and, and everyone paid for it, right? So like, I just need to say, because I don't want this to sound like we're just using this as a platform to like grandstand about DERs because we all love DERs. I'm saying like, if you live in a home and like you care about like your longevity in California right now, like I would move or I would install DERs because do not depend on like utility or the public commission or whatever to figure this out for you. Like, I think they're woefully incapable of actually doing that. And I like, we need to remember that there's a human cost to this. And like, I don't want it to just be like a, a political, oh, let's use this tragedy to like talk about how great the ERs are. It's like, no, I actually think that if you want to like avoid the negative implications of this, those are your only two options. Like if you're listening to this and live in California. I'm with you in the sense that like, absolutely, the only thing people can do right now really is like, try to figure something out for themselves. But I think like, we need to push there to be solutions that are larger than people going out and buying them themselves for people who can't go out and buy them themselves and who can't move. Well, that That's the real tragedy here, right? Is like the people who are going to adopt these solutions are going to be credit worthy or the people who can yep. move are credit worthy. And like, I think it's years, years away from us, like actually pushing through say like the PSC or something, a solution for everyone else. Because like the current solutions being proposed are just not gonna do it. And we have to be honest about that. So something that's been like kind of interesting to see change in myself during the pandemic times is um, how I feel about regulations and like relaxing regulations during times of crisis because I love regulations and I think they protect a lot of people but seeing how quickly New York City was able to be like we just allow people to eat and drink in the streets now and we're just gonna like shut streets down and I'm like that would have taken that type of initiative would have taken so long in a non-COVID time right there would have been like millions of studies on individual streets for like a block at a month at a time and then like three years later someone would have been like I don't know it feels like it could disrupt some traffic and instead it was like okay let's do this go and like yeah it was kind of chaotic and like all this stuff but we got it done and like why can't we do that with microgrids 
I feel like the wildfires and the public safety power shutoffs and like the rolling blackouts are like the COVID crisis of energy. And like, let's figure out how to relax some of these regulations in order to get things built quickly. A hundred percent. I was like, if I were a regulator, I would just like remove the price cap right now. Be like, just figure out flexibility like ASAP, you know what I mean? <laughs> or something. I mean, that wouldn't, that would actually hurt people in the short term, but you know, long term, it would actually probably fix, help fix the problem. But I, 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 I'm not, so I'm not saying to go there, but I think like you're, I agree with your, your sentiment in general. It's like, we need to really think outside the box to like move quickly and like break things as we, as we do that. Like, why won't this just happen again next year? Right. And I think that a lot of times policies are in place to try and help the marginalized people. But unfortunately, in cases like this, the policies kind of hinder solutions that could be helping those people and other people have the resources to help themselves. And so it just like creates these additional disconnects that are what you're actually trying to solve. So I I think the one thing that ties all three of these issues together, the brownouts, which ultimately were caused by a heat wave, uh, the wildfires, which are worse because of, you know, drier and hotter conditions, and public safety power shutoffs, which are a risk because of drier and, and hotter conditions. I mean, obviously, the one thing that ties all this together is climate, right? And the thing I find so striking about this is this is like a real-time example of the adaptations that require that is required when you don't deal with climate, which we kind of tend to not think about or try to like shy away from, but it's here. And now we have this dual challenge of continuing to mitigate, you know, reduce emissions, get to zero, while also now dealing with sort of the climate change we've already ordered. And thinking about solutions that can do both, I think is really important right now, because there's a limited time, right? Like the window is pretty small, the window being that for helping people, but also for like, preventing this from getting a lot worse, right? We're like, I saw this map where like the wildfires we have today are like 30 years ahead of climate change schedule, right? Like this shouldn't have happened until like 2050 climate change and we're already getting it. And that that could be slightly wrong, but something to that effect. So like, we have to move really quickly. We have to continue to mitigate. We also have to adapt. And like, we don't have a long time to do it. And we're seeing like three crazy things happen all at once for different reasons, but like kind of all connected to this one central reason. I totally agree with your sentiment, like in the macro, like I'm here because I think that we have adverse effects coming towards us, one, because of global warming, but two, because like of our general relationship with nature, like as a species. And like, I went to Palm Springs once, right. And it's like, you're in a desert and there's like 50 golf courses. And it's like, Maybe everyone, like our water handling mechanisms in California have something to do with like the increasing droughts. Like, I don't think it's just like, oh, the polar ice caps are melting, the, the world's warming. Like, look, this is an example of climate change. And the reason I go at length to, to say this is because to Colleen's point of like choosing between having reliable power and like, while the world is burning out, outside, like, it doesn't matter if it's driven by droughts or driven by like this kind of macro climate change or whatever. What I push back on in that whole narrative and conversation is like, if we're going to make decisions 
because there's this boogeyman coming in 12 years that took coming to get us all and we make decision that actually make our power systems less reliable i think that is like deeply deeply problematic like we need to move as fast as we possibly can but we can't move faster than we can and like break resiliency within that so there's this really interesting question of like in california if you want to solve public safety power shutoffs like diesel generators are a fix right or natural gas peaker plants are fixed for like shortages. Do you build those or do you not? And I think if we're just like in this monolithic way, just saying climate change is causing the fires, build more renewables, from like an engineering perspective, we need to be like, okay, but like, is the grid gonna work? Like at the same time, I, I started the episode by saying this sort of narrative that California's grid is breaking because of renewables is nonsense. But like, it is extremely important to have a nuanced conversation about this because like, if our response is to like, let utilities rate based more solar or like substation level microgrids because climate change is coming and like, look outside your window, there's a fire. Like, I don't wanna use like the fear mongering, these fires, uh, which may or may not statistically be a, a direct result of climate change to, you know, break like rational kind of engineering thinking about how to build an electric grid. I mean, what one issue I take with that is like the status quo is to build the peaker plants and deploy the diesel generators. Like no one's not doing that. No, and I don't want to I don't want to yeah. do that. No, but I, I guess my point just being like I so I'm with you and I somewhat agree. But like we're not doing what you're afraid of. Like no one is going to climate church and just like not dealing with things. We're not going to climate church. Right. And so, like, I, I just don't think it's an issue we're facing yet. And the, the importance here is like not whether or not these fires are statistically likely to be caused by climate change. It's that in an environment that we know is getting hotter and drier, where we face terrible wire fires, like we know what's coming. We if we don't deal with this, we know what the next 50 years looks like. Um, like, I think that's what's important, not like you know, sort of being the uh, forensic scientist who determines exactly why this app is happening. At the end of the day, like what I'm trying to point out is that like, while it feels like a politician can be like saying out of one side of their mouth, like, let's build more renewables and out of the other side, like the solution to PSPS is like diesel generators and natural gas peaker plants, right? That's what we're ultimately like at the public level left with right now, like despite whatever the popular narrative kind of is. And, and that's kind of what I want to skewer, not saying like, yes, let's build more diesel and more natural gas peakers. Like you guys know that's not how I feel about this, but like that, that's the solution that, that we're being faced with. So I don't, I just ultimately think that like, kind of like the sentiment around this in a way, like isn't ultimately that productive unless it's pointed in the right direction. And so I, I think like injecting some nuance into the conversation is maybe a way to like actually get back to like, okay, how do we solve like people having power in a world where yes, climate change, whether it's from droughts or all still kind of, you know, human caused, right? Or, or climate, like macro global warming or whatever it is, is a reality. Yeah. So it's right. It's like, how do you, how do you deal with the short term and like solutions, which right now are diesel generators and be like, we recognize diesel generators are happening. How do we get these to stop happening as soon as possible in a way that 
is still going to allow for resilience rather than banning them and like not having resilience. I, I think, yeah, I think it's the perplexing challenge of climate, which is like, once it starts becoming a problem, you have like, like opposed interests almost and navigating your way through that, especially as a complex society that can't agree on things is really hard. So I just think the messiness of this, like the unsatisfying solutions we're getting, you know, unless we really start to take this seriously and become, you know, committed to dealing with this, we're, we're just going to get more, more of this unsatisfying um, response to these events until we just kind of face the music. Our 50-year our trajectory is like next year's hotter than the last. And there's probably ups and downs and, you know, like the models are wrong, but like that is generally where we're headed. And like gas plants can't deal with that. Like the hydro is going away. Like we're not dealing with flexibility to accommodate renewables. Like all of the, there's probably a million things we should be doing, but the real answer is like, we should face the music. This is where we are. Right. And so to me, like, I don't know, like, I think there's a bunch of things we need to do, but they all start with like, let's take the problem seriously and stop trying to like, kind of like tweak things around the edges. And like, like you said, like, say one thing out of one side of your mouth and another out of, out of the other side. There's different ways that we can take the problem seriously. And I find the current way it's being taken seriously is like problematic in some ways. Yeah, like one way definitely is like, <laughs> let the prices go over $1,000. Another way is like, find the most at-risk communities who can't afford DERS and give them to them. Like there's a whole range of ways. And like, I don't think we're going to do any of them until we want to, or like choose to. I guess that's that's my feeling, right? No California governor is going to like take energy market reform seriously because it's such a tricky topic and like historically has <laughs> gotten people fired, right? No one's going to take that seriously until like they know they have to. I, I think what I'm what I'm trying to say ultimately though is like looking at like how much solar is installed as a sign of success is like a talking point that a governor can have that's like in some ways like actually ignoring the actual issue. Like we're letting we're letting them off the hook by just being like, oh, California has the most renewables. Like, okay, this is like you know, rolling blackouts were tragic, but avoid like I think it's just a way we need to be like more honest in the conversation that we're having because otherwise you get, you know, the energy wind in Germany push back or like Trump's going to be saying on the national stage, like renewables are what caused the failure in California. Like that's where we're headed. Like, I think I don't want us to be like naive in, in being ready to like give certain ground on that conversation in order to like get the big win. But aren't we saying the opposite? Right. Or like, I feel like if anything, like what we're saying is like, this is showing us the problem and it's only going to get worse. And so like the solution is to move away even further. And to your point, like, yes, we need to think about how you manage a grid dynamically on the supply and demand side and take that really seriously in a way that hasn't happened in California to date because they've been focused right to your point on like hitting, hitting renewable targets rather than like creating a solution to the duck curve, right? Like we've been talking about the duck curve for like how long? No, I think that's right on. Yeah, it's like, I think the way to, the way to characterize this, right, is like, there's like phases, I think, of like renewables deployment. And like California has been extraordinary with phase one, which is like, get the cost curves moving, 
deploy a bunch of solar. Also, like we never really talk about this, but like help every other place in the world deploy solar now that it's cheaper, but like get to that 20, 30% variable renewables level. But then there's the whole host of harder problems that are both technically harder and politically harder that we haven't touched yet. And like now we actually have to have the discipline to go do that. I don't think people understand right now how much ammo this gives to like the pushback against the renewables um, discussion. Like we're like everything I've kind of heard in this conversation is like operating under the assumption that people are going to listen to reason and stuff. Right. So well, I like, the people to, to listening back, to our podcast. Are, <laughs> are that's fine. No, I want to speak to that community. Cause like Colleen, to your point, you're like, I think what everything I've seen on Twitter has been this like monolith look, climate change is happening. We need more renewables. What I'm saying. And, and you kind of just said the same point. I'm sorry. I'm not like trying to be hard on you right now, but. You said like this just proves that we need to go even further in the, in the direction of more renewables and like away from fossil fuels. I'm saying like 50% of the country or more is looking at this and being like, no, we're being proved to right now that we went too far in the renewables direction and it doesn't work. So like I'm saying to our community, like right now, I, I want to communicate that like, don't be naive in our approach to this issue because like everyone is you know, liking votes on Twitter, retweeting, like, yes, like climate change is here, like do more renewables. I'm like, most people are having the opposite reaction to this. If you leave out like that part of the discussion, I think we're actually digging our own grave, like is what I'm trying to say ultimately. But I think a lot of what we talked about was about opening up markets, not really about renewables, which I think in theory should be a universally loved thing because free markets is supposed to be the conservative ideal. But just as a side note, if you're ever talking to someone who's not convinced about solar, the best way to talk about it is just how we need to become the, like the U.S. should be the best. Like why shouldn't the U.S. be the best? That's been the most effective strategy I've had in every conversation with someone who doesn't like solar is I'm like, it's happening. And don't you want us to be best at it? Right. You know, I went on that long like rant, but the, the point of it is, is exactly that. Like we need to be extremely careful about how we frame the discussion from here. Because if it becomes like, look at the fires, look at climate change, we need more renewables instead of like power quality, <laughs> resiliency. Like if you're a prepper in Texas, like you should install a Tesla power wall and solar, like whatever, like it should be more about you know, the other side of this, I think if we want to like actually gain like a political advantage or something in, in, instead of a disadvantage or, or whatever it is, like I, I want to just like bring that back into the conversation because when something so tragic is hap happening and like tensions are rising, I don't want to see this like mud flinging about like renewables cause this, oh no, we need more renewables because, because of climate change. So I think like I, I ultimately agree with you as like we should almost bring this back to like microgrids and DERs and all these other things can actually like improve the situation that's happening in California instead of, you know, it, it ultimately becoming like a huge negative in the national conversation, which, which I think that's where this is headed. Yeah. I, I think this is what like the challenge of being a front runner is or early to this, this transition. Right. Which is like, I, I do agree with you. Like I think it's California's and New York's and maybe Massachusetts and some other states responsibility, not just to deploy renewables, but also then to solve these like second and third order issues 
that either come with that or are unrelated to it, but just appear to be <laughs> like what we have to do. Uh, those of us in these places who work on these things, yeah, is not just bang the drum for more renewables, but actually make the grid a whole lot better at the same time, right? And actually solve solve the problems that come with the duck curve and other things so that the example of deploy renewables is like really positive and like it's actually been great. But I also think we should not be afraid to bang the drum for more renewables right now. Like we can't pretend there isn't a crisis and be like, just because some portion of the country like, you know, like this has candle wax in their ears and like, you know, like has a freak out anytime we talk about like culture war issues. Like we can't lie, right? We have to be honest, but we have to show it's totally manageable and it's better in fact. And when we fuck that up, like right now, like that's on us. I agree with you there. Like once we fuck it up, like that's our problem. We're doing a big disservice to like the transitions politics. Something I love about uh, our space is like a lot of people who are kind of traditionally like more on the left are kind of pro free markets and people who are on the right, like as you saw with Trump in a way are like anti-free market in a way and like trying to push coal. So I kind of enjoy how it's like topsy-turvy and you know, it, that, that, that's like a space where it can be about solutions, right? So I agree with you where there is a way to like that, what that means ultimately is there's a way to like unify, make this like a bipartisan thing. But at the end of the day, I'm trying to say something very like mundane in a sense that's like proceed like really cautiously in how we talk about this, like as a community. Cause I, I always think that the long-term challenges are still the same. Like even if this like crisis is happening in front of our eyes, like we need to stay the course. We need to build a better system. We need more renewables and we need to communicate that way, that in a way that's going to be very bipartisan. Like we need to like kind of reframe and like, just like make sure that we're, we're having this conversation, right. Like for, cause, cause this is going to take a long time and stuff like that's in talking about the models and all that stuff. Like ultimately that's all, that's all I'm trying to say. And like, agree with you at the end of the day that, you can make this about jobs, about markets, about like America first in a way, or like being the best at solar. And, and I, I feel like that's missing from kind of the wildfires conversation right now. And I, and, and I, I get why that is because it's very raw right now. And like, there's a lot of tragedy happening, but I, I just, you know, I, I, I just kind of had to like, you know, point that out, I guess. I generally, generally agree. Like we have to like set the right example here. Right. And like, if, those of us who are sort of leading the transition, like have to do a good job. Otherwise it'll be used against right. us. At the same time, I'm very cautious of kowtowing to the right because it's, it's not a, it's not a rational argument. There's always something that Tucker Carlson <laughs> will preach to his fans about being a problem. And like you bend over backwards to right. like satisfy some intellectual debate. And there's just something else that doesn't make sense. Agreed. While we, I agree, we have to be careful. Like we also can't be weak. We know what is correct here. And like, in some way we have to just say like, you're either going to believe it or not. And like the world's going to pass us by or not, but like, yeah. So there should be some accommodation made to like different rational points of view that I agree with, but like, it can't, we, we tried for 20 years doing the like, you know, let's try to convince Mitch McConnell, like there's a good way to do this. That's in line with his value system. There isn't cause he's fucking crazy. Like there's just no way around that. I, I, I get it. 
I'm just saying, like, don't don't grab the wildfires and be like, finally, we have the ace in our hand that's going to, like, win this debate. Because, like, that's not going to happen. Don't be like, just look out the window, dummy. Because, like, that's not. That's Agreed. Like, yeah. It's not going yeah, no, to over, happen. like, this, this conversation. It, like, but, like, building a great system, maybe I'm being naive, like, could. Or, like, more jobs, more solar, like, whatever. Cheaper power. That type of stuff. I think framing is relevant, but I, I guess like for me, I think like the way we talk about, I'm like totally with you, like the way we talk about climate change, I think is all wrong because we rely on like facts and numbers rather than stories, which is like, I think generally our problem. We like try to solve things intellectually rather than like appealing to the things that people care about, which is like safety and emotion. And so I think there's probably a way of like thinking about it, but I guess like for me thinking through how we move forward on this like it feels like we kind of need everything and so we need to be like acknowledging why things are happening even if they could happen right like going back to statistics like it could be that this is something that would have happened right this would have happened at some point in the world at like some in some time continuum but like the fact that we've had three unprecedented years in a row is a problem no, I, I like, I, I agree. I think like we're almost like talking about two separate points. Cause like, obviously I agree with you on that, on all that. I'm more coming from the place of like, I think there's going to be on the national debate stage, like in a, in a month or two for like the presidential election. You know what I mean? Like we, we need to prepare ourselves as a community. Like this is going to be, this is a huge national issue, even though it's happening in California and it's happening in energy. Like, and people are going to drag Kamala for it. Yeah, yeah. Because like, she's a California, California politician. Yeah. I, so I, yeah, I definitely think like there's a way to think about how to talk about this stuff and how to act upon this stuff. But like the other side's not on planet Earth. So you can't bend over too far because then you just like wind up nowhere. Um, so I, like, I agree with you, but we, got, we have to be careful. No, I'll, ne- I'll never say like climate change doesn't exist. You know, like, I'll never like just like reject that because of uh, like I would I want to appease like the writer or something. No, of course, of course. What do we want to close on? I, I I can end it in our traditional way, which is with a crazy idea. Okay, so I think the the California power system is such a disaster, but also the furthest along in deploying renewables that we just need to make it a lab, like forget that power system being like like normal and functional and like you know just like a normal market like let's just 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 kill it like yeah i don't know pay everybody's energy bill or something so nobody has to worry about that and then just like throw the full weight of r d and like market design and everything at it and just use it to figure out how to make a 100 percent zero carbon power system because like right now it's not working, but it's our best shot. That's my crazy idea. I'm down for that. Do you, I, I think the question I've been asking though is like, do you think how high the renewable penetration is now and like how much of a disaster the grid is there is related? Because like, I'm still not convinced that it really is. Like maybe in kind of principle and how they like think about things. I don't think it's at fault. Yeah, no, I think it's just like, like there's just shit we have to do that we're not doing. It's not like renewables are the problem, but like you have to do certain things to have a lot of them. And we appear to not be doing them because it's easy to just like rely on an RPS. I dig that. We need this stuff. And like California is so far beyond the pale of like pretending it's a rational market anyway, 
You know what I mean? Like it's not. It's just like a series just of decisions. Just like go fully. Just like lean in. Like it. let's just fucking go for it. Yeah. Like DOE just dump its budget into into the California energy market and like let's build a hundred percent clean power system fast and like learn a bunch because like that's basically where we are already. I buy that. I unfortunately think that like the state is not going to be in a position to do that. The state and the utilities could end up bankrupt. You know what I mean? And so then it's like, just like install solar and batteries if you can in a generator and like, like hope it works. <laughs> yeah. In response to like this, like top down, let's just like make it a hundred percent renewable. I, I think what could actually happen is the state and the grid, like uh, kind of utilities are actually not in a financial position to be able to do that. And what we actually may see happening is like, as things deteriorate further, you'll get the reverse, like this kind of bottom up grid being built where everyone like who can is going to get solar, they're going to get batteries, they're going to get generators, like whatever they can to like figure out how to have power and like not sit through these public safety power shutoffs, which like in this, like, again, me saying this from like a comfortable home. So I like, I'm very, I almost feel guilty in saying this, like, It'll be an interesting case study in the opposite of what you're saying is kind of my response to that. Like, we're not going to do this in a top-down fashion. Like, it is so broken that it's actually going to get built in a bottom-up fashion and be, like, actually super clean and all this stuff because, like, people are adopting community microgrids or whatever they can to, like, figure this out. That only works if you deregulate markets, right? Otherwise, everyone's just going to get their, like, really cheap diesel generators and we're just going to have like everyone on backup diesel. But like maybe, I mean, I think it's so bad that you're going to start to see that. Like Duncan said, we can't even pretend anymore that this is like a rational market. I mean, they've mandated this, like everyone puts solar on the roof. So like, obviously there's going to be a lot of clean energy and like maybe people will adopt batteries as a result of that instead of um, generators. So does a battery, does solar plus storage actually kind of like beat a generator in a way will be an interesting question that we'll, we'll figure out like how, how much people adopt one or the other, I guess, in, in that environment. So lots, lots of things to figure out, a lot of interesting things coming. And I think for now, we just hope everyone is staying safe and keeping their lights on. Yeah. At the end of the day, that's what does matter. Like people being safe. And with that, that's a wrap on our first emergency podcast episode. If you enjoyed this episode, give us a rating on Apple Podcasts. Since recording this episode, we've had discussions on our Slack channel about California's flexible load and research deployment hub solicitation, which seems to aim at solving some of the issues we've raised. To engage even more in that conversation, join our Slack channel by visiting drtaskforce.com. As always, a shout out to our producer, Russell Wilcox, for making this podcast sound so amazing. That's it for today, folks. So join us on our next episode on residential DERs.